Welcome back to World Changers. Today we're going to be talking about a man who killed more people than almost anyone in human history. This person is Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin, his name actually wasn't Stalin. He was born Joseph Vissarinovich Jugoslavili. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. There's like 40 letters in those two names. Uh, he was born December 18th, 1878, or December 6th, 1878, it, depending on the, the old-style Julian calendar. Some people have kind of moved it around. He later actually changed his own birth date to December 21st. But, yeah, so anyways, somewhere around that time in a you know two- or three-week period in 1878, he was actually born in a small town of Gory, Georgia, so he wasn't, it was a part of the Russian Empire, but he was actually Georgian. And uh, he grew up poor. Um, he was an only child. His uh, father was a shoemaker and an alcoholic. And his dad would just beat him and his mother all the time. And he had kind of a tough, uh, rough childhood. He got smallpox when he was a kid, which left him with lifelong uh, facial scars that he was really embarrassed of. He, as a teen, he uh, got a scholarship and attended a seminary. His mom really wanted to, him to be a priest, so he got uh, to study for the priesthood in this uh, Georgian Orthodox church. But while he was there, he started reading some of the works of uh, Karl Marx, mainly uh, Communist Manifesto. And he started getting interested in the, the Russian Revolution to overthrow the Russian monarchy. A couple years later, after school, he... Um, he actually left, um, sorry, not after school, a couple years later, he just left school. He was expelled. People don't really know why. Some people claim it was because he couldn't afford tuition. Some claim it's that he uh, was obsessed with Marxist propaganda. So after leaving school, he kind of bounced around a little bit and was really adamant and passionate about these political revolutions and all the stuff that was going on. So he became kind of like a political agitator. And he took part in labor demonstrations and strikes. And he actually adopted this name called Koba, which was after a fictional Georgian outlaw hero. And he joined, eventually joined the Marxist Social Democratic Movement, or the Bolsheviks. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that as well. But they were led by Vladimir Lenin. So while he's there, he... Um, Eventually, he actually gets thrown out of, of Russia. He gets exiled to Siberia, which is pretty crazy. And um, he is there for a while, and this is where he adopts the name uh, Stalin, which means steel or like man of steel. So he just changed his name to Stalin. And he eventually uh, escapes, and he's marked by the Tsar's secret police, the Ok. Okranka. Uh, sorry, guys. These are some tough Russian words. They put like four syllables next to each other. And he was labeled as an outlaw, pretty much like a, a most wanted kind of guy. And so he started doing work in hiding, raising money through robberies, kidnapping, extortion. He got infamy in 1907 when he robbed this bank. And a lot of people died, but he stole 250,000 rubles. Uh also, side note, rubles, super cool name for currency. 
but um, which is about 3.4 million bucks today. So he's like, he's like this wild, wild west guy. You know, he's an outlaw. He's getting X out. He's coming back in. He's robbing banks. Like he's pretty cool. Um, so at the time, like I said, he was part of this party that was trying to overthrow the Russian government. The, the leader was Lenin. Uh, you should probably recognize his name. We'll probably do him in the future. And he wasn't a very good orator like Lenin. And he had this other rival that, well, I guess he was a comrade, a, a, co- a colleague at the time, but eventually they became rivals, Leon Trot- Trotsky. Um, and he was an intellectual. So you got Lenin, who's his orator, and uh, Trotsky, who's this uh, intellectual. And Joseph wasn't, Stalin wasn't either of those, but he really excelled in like mundane operations. Um, so like calling meetings, publishing leaflets, organizing strikes, demonstrations. He was kind of just on the ground, you know, boots on the ground, hard worker guy. So in February 1917, the Russian Revolution actually began, right? So all this stuff kind of leading up to it, and he chose, I guess you could say, the right side. And by this point, like we would said, he gained infamy. He was kind of high up there. And the Tsar was uh, abdicated the throne, was placed under house arrest, and for a little bit, the revolutionaries, they're like, let's just have like a peaceful transition. You know, let's like make it smooth. But Lenin said no. And he's like, we need to seize control right now and take it from the rich. And uh, so in October, the revolution was complete and the Bolsheviks were in control. So Lenin's in charge. The Soviet government kind of went through this violent period where a lot of people kind of vied for position and control. Like, okay, the government's down. Who's in charge, you know? Um, And uh, like we said, it was about October 1917 where, you know, the Russian government's overthrown. Five years later, throughout that time, it's just like this crazy weird transition where people are trying to get in control. um, And eventually it kind of gets, uh, Lenin takes control. Stalin gets appointed to this new office called the General Secretary of the Communist Party. And his now becoming rival, Trotsky, would make fun of him. He would call him Comrade Index Card, kind of uh, demeaning his role as a, quote, secretary, that he just kind of, you know, took notes and filed things. But people didn't really think this was a big position, but it gave Stalin control over who could be appointed as a party member, which was huge. Right, so he got a pick who kind of rose to the top, and he started to build his base. And he made some shrewd appointments. He consolidated his power. So eventually, almost all of the members of the central command, they were in debt to him. They owed their position to him. And before anyone realized this, it was too late. Uh, Lenin at this time was pretty sick. He was going to die, but he was helpless. He couldn't regain control over Stalin. So Stalin just kind of, like a cancer from the inside out, just starts taking over and building this base. And Lenin dies in 1924. So let's just kind of go back. So he was born in 1979. So he's, uh, what is it, 45. He's 45 by the time that he really, uh, that Stalin really kind of takes over. So, I mean, I guess once Lenin died, he didn't really, he wasn't just like appointed commander or dictator or whatever, you know. He set out to destroy the old party leadership and just take control. So at first, it was like, you know, kind of nonchalant. He had a couple people removed from power through, you know, bureaucratic shuffling and denunciations. Some people were exiled to Europe and Americas, including his 
uh, rival, Leon Trotsky, who was supposed to be, everyone was assuming he would take Lenin's spot. So uh, Stalin kind of got him out of the way, sent him to America. But then Stalin started to get paranoid. And he started this thing called the Great Purge, which gives you shivers as you hear about it. But it was this vast reign of terror. And he would have people arrested in the night. And he'd put them on these spectacular show trials in public and have them uh, executed in front of everyone. And any potential rivals were accused of aligning with, you know, different parties or capitalist nations or convicted of being, quote, enemies of the people. Pretty much everyone, he was just killing everyone. He uh, uh, even went to, like, I mean, especially party officials, but it went to, like, other people, like um, intellectuals, you know, artists, uh, kind of sad. The, um, the exact amount of people, we're not really sure. Um, but from 1937 to 1938, he killed, uh, about six, over 600,000 people, which is insane guys. In one year, he killed 600,000 people. And these were all types of people. They were just anyone who was associated with the previous, you know, with, with Lenin's party, he would just kill them. And any, it, it, it even went to like peasants. It went to all types of people. He just became kind of like, yeah, I guess obsessed with this delusional paranoia, you know. Um, he also started these things called the gulag, which are these camps. So you were either killed or you were sent to these gulag. And... It's estimated, this is another tough one, but over a million people died at these these camps. And some have it between 1.5 and 1.7. Some people, it just kind of varies because a lot of these deaths were kind of covered up and stuff. But over 18 million people were sent to these places. So it's like, this is pretty crazy. Um, so he's just kind of going on this reign, right? Uh, and a couple years later, 1940, there's this thing called the Katyn Massacre where there were these Polish prisoners of war and he killed all 22,000 of them. So this guy was ruthless and he just went on this killing rampage. Just and The sad part was that it was all of his own people for the most part. I mean, the Katyn Massacre was these Polish prisoners of war, but these were like peasants. These were politicians. These were people all around him. And, um, yeah, he was just killing everyone to, to kind of solidify his power. But so after this, he, you know, he gets in power. Um, he, a little bit around the same time, he also starts reversing what the Bolsheviks had done. So the Bolsheviks overthrew, let's just say Lenin, okay? Lenin overthrew the Russian government. Well, the Russian government before Lenin, they had these things, uh, they, the, the peasants were in this, uh, kind of set up called serfdom and pretty much the peasants would have these farms and they would give all of their crops to like the rich people and like what was left over they would get well then Lenin overthrows that and gives all the peasants uh, their own land and then Stalin reinstates that so he believed that so it, it essentially reduced the peasants back to serfs as they had been during the monarchy so didn't last very long. But Stalin believed that this collectivism would accelerate food production, which sounds a lot like Mao, right? And it's crazy because Mao is a 
contemporary of, of Stalin, and they did the same thing. They were both inspired by the same man, and they interpreted his works, Karl Marx, in their own little way, but it's crazy how similar they were. So they both did this thing where they said, everyone make food, and then we'll distribute it. But the peasants were pretty mad about losing their land and working for the states, and so these that's why a lot of these peasants, millions of them, were killed in forced labor, or they just starved during the, the famine that came. So millions of people died in this famine. The actual numbers, and once again, this kind of varies, but they have between 1.1 to 1.5 million people. Um, oh, excuse me. Sorry, that was the second famine. He was responsible for two famines. The first famine was about 5 to 7 million people died. So just kind of internalize this, guys. He comes to power. In one year, he kills 600,000 people. Um, in one year, the famine kills five to seven million people. He's just like killing his entire nation. It's crazy to think, you know, how he lasted so long. But like Mao, this huge push towards rapid growth and industrialization, it, it had initially good success, high success. But over time, millions of people lost their lives. There was damage to the environment. And anyone who resisted was just killed or sent to the gulag. And people have said they'd rather be killed than sent to the gulag. Well, all this is kind of happening, and Russia is just like in smoke. And then World War II comes. Stalin signs a non-aggression pact with Hitler, which a lot of people said was brilliant. And he was so convinced of Hitler's integrity that he ignored these warnings from his generals that Hitler was, like, planning an attack on him. And so Hitler, because he kind of ignored these warnings, when Hitler did attack, they just devastated his army. They took massive losses. And Stalin was so distraught with Hitler's treachery that he actually hid in his office for several days. And by the time he'd come back and gained his resolve, Germany had occupied all Ukraine and Belarus, and its artillery was surrounding Leningrad. And, um, and then to make things even worse, these, the purges of the 30s, 1930s, had just depleted the Soviet army and the government leadership as well. And so everything was like dysfunctional. And uh, so... It was looking pretty dire for these for the Soviets, but they kind of rallied together with this common enemy, and they um, they fought in the Battle of Stalingrad, Stalingrad that kind of united everybody, and then they started uh, liberating some countries even before the Allies had had started to challenge Hitler. So they were kind of the first uh, opponents of Hitler, and he this started to about this time is when Stalin started to get kind of. Um, suspicious with the West. And he just didn't really trust them, and he wanted the Allies. He met with Winston Churchill and FDR, and he wanted them to start attacking Hitler. And they were kind of hesitant. Um, and uh, eventually, after you know Stalingrad had freed, I mean, sorry, after Stalin had freed all these uh, different countries, and he was kind of fighting and, and losing all these people, and they had this great victory in Stalingrad, he kind of had... Uh, you know, more solid bargaining position. And so when he met with, you know, Churchill and Roosevelt, they agreed in the spring of 1944 that they would help him. So they start fighting and they realize that, you know, they're going to win. Um, and so they start, you know, deciding what they're going to do with, uh, you know, post-war. And 
Um, Stalin just didn't really, this is when like things started getting kind of crazy. The Americans were suspicious that he was going to, um, like they didn't really like him and they, they didn't trust Stalin. And so they were, they didn't want him to be involved with uh, a post-war attack on Japan. But then, cause you know, they're trying to figure out, okay, we're going to defeat Germany. What are we going to do with Japan? The good news is that, um, a couple months later, 1945, we dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. They surrender. And at this point, though, just like throughout, even though we were sort of on the same team, uh, Stalin was just convinced that the Allies just were against him. And he was obsessed with this idea that they were going to invade. And so what he did was he established these communist regimes in European countries, kind of creating a buffer zone between uh, Western Europe and Mother Russia. And this uh, is known as the Iron Curtain. And uh, he even, uh, they split up Germany, as a lot of people know, and Stalin ordered an economic blockade on the German city of Berlin. His his plan was to gain full control of the city. And so he's like starving them out, and the Allies kind of flew above and dropped stuff down into the city to save them. But he, uh, yeah, so he was just kind of... it's so funny that they were on the same team, you know, and then after just kind of how it ended, they just didn't really trust each other. And um, he uh, he wanted to spread communism, and so he encouraged North Korea to invade South Korea, and he just didn't think that the U.S. would interfere, and obviously they did. Um, but what's weird, guys, is even though he killed all of these people and he re- reduced his peasants back to serfs and he murdered all these politicians, like, if you think about it, no one could hate him, right? Because if you hated him, you would die, right? And so you were kind of forced to love him, which is similar to some regimes even today, actually. But he was pretty popular, especially because of World War II, you know? When you have a, a similar uh, trial, uh, it kind of bonds you, brings you back together. And, um, but in the early 1950s, he started to get sick. His health started to deteriorate. There was actually an assassination plot and he found out about it. And so he actually instituted another purge of the communist party. And so just crazy. Like before he, before, um, it could be executed though, he died and his legacy is just a a legacy of death and horror. And, but the weird thing is, at the same time, he turned this backward, weird country of Russia into a world superpower. So it's uh, it's interesting to see, you know, your take on him. I mean, obviously, he's a mass murderer, but let's let's dive into some interesting facts uh, about his life. And at the end of the podcast, we'll kind of tackle that that fun idea of whether, you know, how we can look at Stalin and what his true legacy was. So Joseph Stalin killed, oh man, close to, it, it varies once again, uh, Timothy Snyder, who has kind of been assessing this historical research of Eastern European archives for 20 years, he asserts that he killed about 6 million people up to about 9 million people, which is, uh, wow, which is just amazing. It's, it's just, it gives you shivers just hearing that. And I guess with Stalin, it's kind of one of those questions, does the uh, means justify the ends? And it's easy for people today to look at how 
big of a power Russia is, or especially immediately after the time of, of Stalin, and to say it was worth it. But I don't know. I just think there's some means that are so great, like a human life, that it can never justify the end. And uh, he's someone that got it done. You know, I think as we've gone through other leaders uh, like Caesar and Alexander the Great and Napoleon and Hitler, I mean, he's kind of under the microscope of uh, modern times of research, statistics, you know, data, tracking things, testimonies, recordings, videos, photos. And so his horror horror is is documented. And I think that greatly hinders his legacy. Now, as far as influence, there's no doubt, I think, in anyone's mind that he's one of the most influential people of all time. But as far as uh, how he did it, um, it's a little unfair, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's unfair that we look down upon him. I think it's unfair that people like Alexander the Great are, um, are so esteemed in a lot of people's eyes, at least the general public, you know, about how great of a man he was or Caesar... But um, he was definitely someone that seized power. Um, it did not fall in his lap. And for that, I think, you know, we can applaud him for his uh, audacity, his, his tenacity, um, for his grit and toughness. But everything else in his life, I don't think it's anything we should look up to. You know, he was conniving. Um, he, uh, he just had a, you know... It was uh, like the Gadianted robbers of old, secret combinations and uh, deception. And although he's, you know, uplifted this country out of obscurity to great heights, uh, I, there's no way that his legacy can ever be, can ever leave the shadow of these, you know, what did I say, six million people. It's just, uh, it's just too much. And it's it's sad. It's it's what's interesting to me is the similarities between him and Mao, you know, um, and how they were influenced by the same person. We've got to do Karl Marx on this on this podcast because, uh, I mean, you can argue that he's more influential than all of these people because he's the one who inspired them. But that's all I got for today. Thank you for listening. If you have any uh, recommendations for people we should do, comments, likes. Uh, reach out to us. Our email is worldchangerspod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, so this one's kind of crazy, but during World War II, he had these kind of out there crazy ideas and one of them was to create an army of half-human soldiers. He thought humans were weak and they needed food and sleep. And he said, why can't I make you know, a half-robot, half-human soldier? And they did some very real and horrifying experiments, but obviously nothing came about. We mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again that he wanted to become a priest. How the world would have been different if he would have done so. Despite his crazy reputation as a, a brutal tyrant, he was actually a family man. Loved his, uh, he had a daughter and, and loved her really, uh, you know, very deeply. Um, when he was a child, he was run over and, and beaten uh, by a horse. Uh, he was run over by a horse-drawn carriage, and uh, it 
really, um, and he was beaten by his dad, as we mentioned before, and it really messed up his arm. He had to get extensive surgery on his arm, and his arm was, uh, and his left arm became significantly shorter. And he, to the, fa- to the point where he was unsuitable for military service. So he, was not even, he wasn't even sent to the front lines and um, like other Russians were. But it, it stayed with him his whole life. And so as a child, I mean, he was poor. His dad would beat him. He gets run over by a carriage and like permanently hinders his left arm. And he has, uh, he gets smallpox and has these scars on his face. So he was a pretty, um, how can I describe it? I don't know, scarred is a, is a good word. I just feel like he was kind of like a dog that was treated really bad. You go to pet it and it just barks at you now. He got this ruthlessness about him because a lot of kids would tease him. And so you didn't really, uh, you wouldn't cross him. If you crossed him, you'd kind of be in trouble because he just wouldn't take anything lying down. Um, he enjoyed Western movies. His favorite genre of movies was American Westerns. He especially loved John Wayne pretty awesome especially because he was kind of like i mentioned earlier like a wild wild west kind of you know robbing banks and stuff uh this one's crazy he was nominated for the nobel peace prize twice granted this was before obviously the full extent of his murders were known to everyone but yeah he was nominated twice he was also times man of the year he won that i think two times yeah hitler won it once he won it twice so crazy guys so crazy um he as we mentioned earlier fun fact was that he wasn't russian so that's kind of uh unique um he uh he kind of invented photoshop before people photoshopped we mentioned those scars on his face with smallpox and he was so embarrassed by them that he would uh have photos altered to cover it up okay i think that's all i got right now for some cool facts about his life Let's just jump in and and go over some fun quotes. The people who cast the votes don't decide in an election. The people who count the votes do. Corruption. I trust no one, not even myself. I don't even know how to respond to that one. In the Soviet army, it takes more courage to retreat than advance. That's freaking scary. Oh, my gosh. I think that's what, what he's saying is if uh, it's you can die in the battle or we can kill you, and us killing you is going to be worse. Ideas are more powerful than guns. We would not let our enemies have guns. Why should we let them have ideas? Crazy. Oh, my gosh. This guy's freaking me out. This one is debated over whether he said it or not, but it's a cool quote, so I'll say it. One death is a tragedy. One million is a statistic. The only real power comes out of a long rifle. When we hang the capitalists, they will sell us the rope we use. (laughs) You cannot make a revolution with silk gloves. All right, let's just move into the final part about his life. 